When it comes to managing a dissatisfied client, like most things in life, you want to start managing that before anyone even complains. And the key is to communicate in your client contract in two ways specifically. First, you want to lay out your deliverables as specific as possible. This is exactly what you're getting. You know, we're meeting here. It's going to be this length of time. These are the shots you're getting, how it's going to be edited, if it is as specific as you can get. So there's no dispute about what they're getting. And don't just include it in one place of your website and then in the client agreement to the extent that you can have a conversation during a consultation or something like that, make sure they understand what they're getting to. Because even though, yes, you and your client will be bound to that agreement, it's better that everyone is on the same page to mitigate any anyone being upset in the future. So be really clear about that. And then the next piece is having an artistic interpretation clause. And that might be called different things in different contracts, but essentially what it's saying is they might be able to recover damages, you know, or get money back if you fail to provide the deliverables that are set out in the contract, but not if they just didn't like your style of this particular photo, or it was something that wasn't objective. So objective versus subjective, your audience probably knows the difference, but objective is there's clearly defined criteria here. We know for sure whether this was happening or wasn't happening, whether it was included or it wasn't included. And then subjective is like, it's in the eye of the beholder. So typically in a clause like that, you're going to say, you have, you know, in, in more professional terms, um, you've have an, had an opportunity to review my work, to review my portfolio, get a sense of my style. You've agreed to let me have artistic license in how I'm going to produce those photos. That really covers you there in terms of legally protecting you when a client is dissatisfied with your work product. You're listening to the Build and Bloom podcast with host Jessica Whitaker, an educator of film and digital photography to beginners, both in workshops across the globe and online. Creator of the Build and Bloom group on Facebook, one of the largest and most engaged photography communities with over 60,000 members, and founder of non-profit Sister Sister, a monthly networking group for young women in media. Jessica Whitaker cuts the fluff and will help you to grow your photography business with practical, actionable tips in every episode. If you're ready for a roadmap to a better personal and professional balance, then Build and Bloom podcast will help encourage, empower, and educate you to not only build your dream business, but sustain it. And now, here's your host, Jessica Whitaker. Hey photographer, Jessica Whitaker here. Welcome to the Build and Bloom Photography Podcast. In this episode, I am joined by lawyer Kaylee Giacome of Contractista, where I recommend all photographers to get their photography contract templates. In this episode, Kaylee is going to walk us through two sticky situations. Number one, how to handle clients who want their non-refundable retainer slash deposit back and what to do when a client is dissatisfied with your work. If you're interested, I have a free worksheet available of five to include in your photography contract. Pop over to the description of this episode and it'll be linked right there. You can also head directly to jessicawhitaker.co slash photography contracts to check out what Contractista has to offer, but here's a little rundown. They have portrait photography contracts, weddings, boudoir photography, which has its own special clauses, newborn, family, senior, and those three are working with minors, so there are also additional clauses for that, as well as maternity sessions. 
That's jessicawhitaker.co slash photography contracts. Let's get into the show. Kaylee, I am so happy that you are on the Build and Bloom podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here and to educate the my audience on this really complicated and kind of overwhelming topic about contracts. There's so much information out there. And so having somebody who is a business lawyer to bring clarity and to explain it in a very simplified way, I could not be more grateful for you teaching today. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jessica. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I know this isn't the most exciting topic, but we'll make it entertaining. (laughs) So today we're going to be going over what you need to have in your photography contract and just how to deal with client disputes. So how about we talk about how would you handle clients who want their non-refundable retainer deposit back? Okay, that is a great question because I would say that probably the two most common problems that you're going to run into in your photography business from a you know client client dissatisfaction or legal problem is going to be either wanting their some fee that they paid you back be that a cancellation a postponement um, a force majeure event which I'll get into in a moment but that's it's like a hurricane, some kind of act of God, or they're just not happy with your work. And we can talk about that in the next question. So particularly when it comes to a client who wants their retainer back before you've actually done the shoot. So they've paid your retainer, you might be calling it a deposit, and then either they cancel or they want to reschedule. This is something that you need to make really clear in your contract how you're going to handle that, be it a cancellation or postponement or, as I mentioned before, a force majeure event. Um, So I have represented clients on both sides of these situations, people who were clients in a photography um, relationship and photographers. And again, it really comes down to what does the contract say? But if the con- if the contract is silent, if it doesn't address the problem uh, that comes up, what is going to happen? You're going to default to the common law provisions where you are located, wherever the contract law is. So also in your contract, you're going to have a provision that says governing law. So let's say you are in Washington state and your contract is governed by the law of Washington and you had a really bare bones contract that you grabbed off the Internet or your friend gave you are you know you googled um commercial photo shoot contract and you get something and it's just silent it's just missing these pieces you read it over it looks good to you looks like everything that you need is there but then a situation pops up and your client is asking for the retainer back maybe because you know in the last two years or really two and a half years now we've had a ton of different situations of you know covid restrictions fingers crossed we're past that but um could be that your client just gets sick for some other reason um could be that um they have some kind of conflict with their family and they need to cancel or they need to reschedule and they're asking for their retainer back. If you go back to your contract and you don't have the proper wording there, you might not be able to keep your retainer. And now I'll get into why. So when um, we're dealing with contract law, there's this legal term called consideration. And it's not the type of consideration like you're being kind to me and I'm being kind to you. It means an exchange of value is taking place. So typically in contract law, you can't 
uh, retain someone's fees. You can't keep money that someone paid you if you didn't provide a service to them. And that's why, the, again, the wording of your contract is so important. So if the shoot has not taken place for whatever reason, um, but let's say they've paid you a thousand dollar deposit or a retainer, how do you keep that money or what entitles you to keep that money if you've not provided them with any service? So you want to make sure that your contract is saying that this fee that they're paying you is a retainer for you holding a date in your calendar and therefore foregoing other business opportunities. And that was the exchange of value of, I could have booked another client on this date, but I didn't because I was holding that date for you. And that was the exchange of value that you gave them there. So you wanna make that really clear. Um, and then when it comes to other situations regarding cancellation and postponement, uh, we could really get into the weeds of, of different things that come up. But basically, you want to make it really clear how much notice are you going to require before your client cancels um, or they postpone something? Do they have the opportunity within that contract to reschedule? Are you going to have a rescheduling fee or not? Um, I mentioned force majeure. So a force majeure event is something like a hurricane, um, power outages, an earthquake, um, could be like intense riots that really completely shut down the town um, or the city. It could be an emergency order that people either need to stay in their homes or they can't travel or they have to evacuate. Something that is completely outside of your control. Um, and when I say outside of your control, it's important to note that it must be actually impossible. It can't be that it's extremely inconvenient. So let's say you have um, a pneumonia or you're just really sick. Um, and you could say, well, that was outside of my control, but it has to be an actual um, impossibility. Um, and also important to note, once that condition goes away, so once the electricity is back on, once there's no emergency event anymore, um, once the hurricane and the shock waves have subsided, then you are responsible for fulfilling your services again. So let's say that there is some kind of um, force majeure event that stops you from being able to shoot an event. Um, and then it ends. So you need to pick up on that pretty soon. And, and that could that could be a couple of days, a couple of weeks. It can't be, okay, well, there was an earthquake and now I'm actually booked out for the next six months or nine months so I can get you in next year. Your performance needs to resume after that um, event. Those conditions that made it impossible are removed. Um, so that's just some information. I know it's that's a lot to digest, but the bottom line is you want all of these situations to be addressed in writing in your contract so that when something comes up that you didn't even consider, you can refer back to your contract and you know exactly how it's going to be handled. And both pa parties are going to be bound by how you've decided to handle that. You're not going to need to argue about what should happen um, or default to the the common law provisions that your state is going to provide if something wasn't there, which is probably not going to be advantageous for you. It's in most situations going to favor the client more. Thank you so much for explaining all of this and just painting a really clear picture. And for those listening, if you're like, uh, how would I even know what to write in the contract? Kaylee has 
in, in like I mentioned in the intro, in the show notes, Kaylee has actually uh, rescheduling clauses that you can add to your contract. Wait, are those for just COVID or are those? They were in general. So if you if your client contract didn't include them and you need a rescheduling um, contract, and you can get grab that. So that is going to be um, a new contract. Let's say, for example, you have a bride who um, they cancel for some reason. She's pregnant now and she's not going to fit in her dress. So she needs to postpone this until next year. So a rescheduling contract is going to transfer the first contract to a new agreement and um that will also create a lot of advantages for you because there may be other clauses in there that are going to protect you that might not have been in your first contract anyway and so now the parties will be bound to that um and so we do have client contracts for portraits um, client contracts for weddings and individual clauses if you know you pretty much have everything you need but you need this one thing i would caution people against that because the danger in that is that you are beginning to you know piecemeal something together and at least you identified that you need this clause but what about the four others that you still don't yet know that you need um so if you don't have um, an attorney drafted photography agreement or a contractista one which is also attorney drafted, but from me, then I would suggest getting one. Either have a lawyer in your state draft a custom agreement for you, or you can hop onto Contractista through the link that Jessica has provided in the show notes, in the description, um, and then you have everything that you need there. So uh, there are there's a photography collection with a couple different things. There's the rescheduling agreement and also cancellation agreement. So while we're on that topic, what is a cancellation agreement? That is going to be separate from your client contract, whether you had a rescheduling clause in there or not, because your cancellation contract is simply you're memorializing that this relationship is ending we are breaking up and here are the terms of our breakup you and i both agree that i get to, to keep the retainer you're not going to sue me for anything you're just wrapping everything up in a bow and um and you're done with that so your regular client contract is never going to include that because that by its nature is a different separate agreement um, but something that's really important to always execute if a shoot is being canceled before it takes place. This podcast episode is brought to you by HoneyBook. HoneyBook is a client management program. You are able to have your client submit their inquiry form on your website and have this system automate the entire booking process. So once you get that client inquiry, they're popped at the top of your funnel and booked hands-free. So now instead of the cycle of responding to inquiries manually, answering the questions, following up with ghosted clients, you know the drill. This process should now take you 10 minutes because it is automated. So before before we get back to the episode, let's talk about getting paid. Another feature I love is that you can set up a payment schedule with your clients and HoneyBook will automatically remind them that the payment is almost done and it will invoice them. I love that you can set up various payment schedules with your clients. You can break it down by percentage, exact amount, and HoneyBook will do all the math for you. It will automatically remind them when payments are due or about to be due and it will invoice them. So there's no more back and forth for you trying to track down that final payment. You can head to jessicawhitaker.co slash honeybook to snag a free trial with no credit card required to set up. And if you love it, you'll get 50% off your first year. That's jessicawhitaker.co slash honeybook. In a similar vein, 
what do you do when a client is dissatisfied with your work? Do you have to refund them? And now, okay, I have to create this whole new, you know, I have to send them this new document for them to sign. How do you go about that, those kind of situations? Right. So when it comes to managing a dissatisfied client, like most things in life, you want to start managing that before anyone even complains. And the key is to communicate, communicate, and specifically communicate in your client contract. Um, so in two ways specifically. First, you want to lay out your deliverables very specifically, as specific as possible. This is exactly what you're getting. You know, we're meeting here. Um, it's going to be this length of time. These are the shots you're getting. Um, this is how it's going to be edited, if it is as specific as you can get. So there's no dispute about what they're getting. And don't just include it, you know, in one place of your website and then in the client agreement. It, to the extent that you can have a conversation, you know, during a consultation or something like that, make sure they understand what they're um, what they're getting to, because even though, yes, you will be bound, you and your client will be bound to that agreement, it's better that everyone is on the same page to mitigate any anyone being upset in the future. So be really clear about that. And then the next piece is having an artistic interpretation clause, and that might be called different things in different contracts, but essentially what it's saying is that they can, they might be able to recover damages, you know, or get money back if you fail to provide the deliverables that are set out in the contract, but not if they just didn't like your style of this um, particular photo or, um, you know, it was something that wasn't objective. So objective versus subjective, your audience probably knows the difference, but objective is there's clearly defined criteria here. We know for sure whether this was happening or wasn't happening, whether it was included or it wasn't included. And then subjective is like, it's in the eye of the beholder. Um, so typically in a clause like that, you're going to say, you have, you know, in, in more professional terms, um, you've haven't had an opportunity to review my work, to review my portfolio, get a sense of my style. Um, and so, and you've agreed to let me have artistic license in how my how I'm going to produce those photos. Um, so that really covers you there in terms of you know, legally protecting you when a client is dissatisfied with your work product. I will mention that you do have a duty to make a commercially reasonable effort in your work product. So that doesn't really go to your artistic interpretation in a particular um, shoot. But if like almost objectively, you can see here is his or her portfolio. And then here, here is what he or she did for me and it's just completely different you know objectively you can see that no effort was made and so that's a different story um but that's you know i think maybe people could get nervous about that that's like where it's just clearly a complete lack of effort not left up to artistic interpretation what about where the end result goes with the portfolio but the client felt like on the shoot itself or the wedding day itself the the photographer wasn't performing well. For example, what if you are a wedding photographer and you have associates are who are under you and they're on your team and they're going to shoot a wedding for your photography client. They're working in your place, right? And 
the client feels dissatisfied with how your associate performed. Maybe they felt that that they were a bit distracted or unprofessional or whatever the case might be, but the actual end result is good and matches your portfolio, but their professionalism didn't really match what yours would be in the experience that you as the primary wedding photographer would have given them. Right. And so that really goes back to this conversation of, you know, objective standards versus subjective standards. Um, first, just to begin this hypothetical, of course, you want to have a clause in your contract that allows you to have, um, you know, an extra photographer or a subcontract subcontractor as a um, photographer as a stand in for you. And they've agreed to that. And then beyond that, it's have you provided the service under the terms of the contract? Um, was the photographer there at the stated time for the duration of the shoot? Um, did they provide these deliverables? Um, and to the extent that they thought they were unprofessional or something, um, you know, you have business problems and legal problems. That's certainly a business problem and there's no way of getting around that. And so from that perspective, um, do you want to consider giving them a partial refund if you agree that perhaps the person who was standing in for you um, really did act this way? That's your decision as a business owner. That That's separate from the legal considerations. Um, from the viewpoint of your, your legal concerns, they would have to sue you for breach of contract. And so to show that there was a breach of contract, they need to show that not just um, that they were slightly unhappy with someone's attitude, but that there was a material breach in contract. And typically there's there's not gonna be any way to, um, you know, to, to prove or objectively measure that someone had a bad attitude. As long as they were there and they were providing the service and it was delivered, um, then that's more of a business problem than a legal problem. Just like if you went to a restaurant um, and you ordered like a filet mignon and you came and it was like, it came and it was overcooked and the service was poor, you still owe your bill um, at the end of, you know, eating that if you truly were delivered with a filet mignon, and, you know, unless it was so burnt that it was completely inedible. And then um, de facto, you really didn't get an edible filet mignon, but just as, as an analogy there. With all that being said, then why do you need a contract that's written by a lawyer as opposed to getting one on uh, online just as a template or getting like one that's through a subscription service? Why is a lawyer drafted contract important? Yeah, a few reasons. Um, To begin the subscription service. So there are a lot of client management systems that have um, template contracts that you can use, like whether you're using HoneyBook or Dubsado or the others. And I will just say, so personally, as a client management system, I use HoneyBook. I like all their other features, but I've looked at their templates. They're extremely bare bones. Um, there's really, even their independent contractor, and not to throw HoneyBook under the bus, this is true for all of them. They're extremely bare bones. Um, and it's very important to have a contract that is specifically for photographers and even more specifically your your niche. So an event contract is going to be very different from, um, you know, some kind of portrait agreement. So that could be senior um, senior photography, maternity shoots, any of that, a, um, a portrait, you know, shoot versus an event those contracts are going to be very different. So another reason is 
when it comes to a, a contract, I like to make the analogy of that writing a contract is a little bit like writing code. So for any of your listeners, if you've ever like played around with your own website um, and you maybe do something and you edit the code a little bit here or there, um, and now that we have such amazing tools, most people don't need to do that. But back in the day, you know, if you're if you're relying on WordPress and it's a little less user friendly, you do have to play around with things a little bit, and then you hit the preview button and see what your website looks like right now. Because there is a by changing those letters and those symbols, there's an outward effect of that. So there's an operational effect. It actually changes what you get. And the same is true for a contract. Um, it's not just like creating a welcome packet for your client where you're communicating something. You're not just communicating with your client. You are creating or potentially restricting your own legal rights. Um, and so it's very important that someone who is trained in doing that is drafting your agreement or at least reviewing the agreement that you're going to use. This episode of the Build a Blue podcast is brought to you by a tool that's cut my photography workflow in half without cutting into half my software budget. Like most photographers, I use the blog feature on my website to upload galleries. Narrative is a software that you download onto your computer that cuts down the time it takes to build out blog posts from one hour to 10 minutes. Narrative works on almost all website platforms, Squarespace, Wix, Weebly, WordPress, the list goes on. There are so many bonus features to Narrative, including a Lightroom plugin, SEO integration, adding text in the blog post, cropping within the program, which means no more back and forth with Lightroom. Oh, and it also uploads all your images as individual files. So it's not one big collage, meaning that it's Pinterest friendly. I know what you're thinking. This seems like a miracle, but how much does it cost? With Narrative, there are three package options starting at just $6 a month. And heads up, right now the program is only available for iOS, meaning Mac users. Go to jessicawhitaker.co slash blog tool. You can also check out the description of this podcast episode, the show notes down below. I'll link it as well. That's jessicawhitaker.co slash blog tool. So I love your analogy too on you wouldn't drive your car without insurance. So you shouldn't operate your business without a contract and specifically one that's a proper legal document from a lawyer. Again, if you are interested in taking a look at Contractista, it's linked in the show notes, the description of this episode. And we also do have a freebie of five things to include in your photography contract. And that can also be found in the description and show notes as well. So Kaylee, can you use the same photography contract for every type of photo shoot? No. So um, you should definitely not use the same photography contract for every type of shoot. You can get a lot more specific, but um, in general, I'll put them in three kind of categories. So uh, a wedding photography shoot is going to, you're going to want a specific contract that is drafted for weddings. That's going to include a lot of um, issues that aren't going to come up in a different type of shoot. Like, for example, are they going to submit to you a list of pictures they want? Are you going to agree to provide a certain amount of 
photos including like their mother and their grandmother or the bridesmaids together or the grooms and so on and so forth um in that type of contract you also want to have a clause that says uh, you can't guarantee that you can orchestrate those people together um, to be there for the shoot. I mean, maybe grandma, you know, is passed out somewhere and she's not available anymore for the photo. Or maybe you don't know who the parties are and you want to make sure that someone has designated a person to be um, to be the, you know, to herd, herd the sheep over for those particular photos that the couple wants. Um, and also, you're going to have a lot more specific clauses about like the event time and location and um, pre-wedding shoots and whatnot. And then when it comes to portrait agreements, um, you could have a general portrait agreement, and we do have one of those. And that really is going to be kind of your meat and potatoes. It's going to fit all different types of portrait agreements. Um, and then you can get more granular and get a contract that is specific to your niche. And generally, um, what those do is it just makes things even more clear between you and your client. And a lot of the clauses that are going to be present in those even more niche down portrait agreements, which I'll get into in a moment, are going to include causes that make your client feel more comfortable. Um, and then they might address um, children and things like that in the shoot. So we have a general portrait agreement. And then we also have one specifically for boudoir photography, senior photography, maternity shoots, and brand shoots. And so those, again, are going to be shoots between you and a business owner for their business. Boudoir might be the best example for me asking this question. Like, what are things that would be in that contract that you definitely want to include just for your client feeling more comfortable? Yeah. So like specifically for um, boudoir photography, your client is in a very, you know, vulnerable position. They probably want to um, make sure that their privacy is going to be protected. That might even be their main concern. You know, their main concern may be, you know, there are two people or maybe three, including the photographer, three people on this earth that I want to see these photos. And so having additional language in there that really makes your client feel comfortable that these are not going to be shared anywhere um, and including that. And also there are things that you may want to leave out of a boudoir photography contract that you might otherwise include in other shoots. So if you were doing um, a wedding shoot or you were doing um, senior photography, something like that, you might have a built-in clause for a model release. Um, so that's they're agreeing within the contract that they will allow you to use their images for promotion of your own business on your social media, on your website, and um, whatnot. So when people, you know, are doing Bedar photography and they don't want anyone to see that, they're not going to want to see that clause and they're not going to want to agree to that. So it's what you include and what you don't include to make your client feel comfortable working with you. And remember, usually before they're signing the contract and paying your invoice and really retaining you as their photographer, they're going to be reviewing this. So it's going to probably make it much more likely if they're on the fence that they will move forward with hiring you if they see that language that makes them feel more comfortable. 100%. To close everything out, Kaylee, at what point in your photography business do you need to get a proper lawyer drafted contract? From the very beginning. So I think this is a really common mistake that people think when I start making money, then I'll reinvest some of my income into these pieces of my business. Um, but when you think about it, you're more likely to make mistakes 
early on in your career. And it's kind of a double-edged sword because probably your liability is going to get greater as you have larger contracts or you have, you know, more expensive packages as you move through your photography career. Uh, but in the beginning, you might be more likely to make mistakes. Um, so it's important to have a contract from the very, very beginning. So your first client, if someone is paying you to do a photo shoot for them, then you need a client contract in place. It's really tempting when we're beginning our photography business to invest in, you know, an additional lens when it might not be necessary for you to buy that fancier lens. Instead, putting that money into protecting your business from the start, having a legal contract from Contractista most likely is going to save you money down the line with purchasing just $100 contract here, $30 contract here, and the time as well of having to piece together your own contract or going back and forth with a dissatisfied client, but your current template doesn't actually protect you as much as you originally thought. Right. And not just in the cost of piecemealing together a contract, everything you said is absolutely correct, um, but also in just the exposure to liability, how you're now exposed um, to having someone, you know, cancel and not give the retainer back. And you really had nothing to protect yourself in that specific situation. So um, likely, you know, it would take only one of those situations to, you know, probably tenfold pay for your investment in an attorney drafted um, client agreement. A hundred percent. And we do have a coupon code for those listening. It will be in the show notes. Uh, I believe it's 15% off. I also really like too that with Contractista, you guys don't have a plethora of essentially the same contract just duplicated and called maternity contract, engagement contract, but they're kind of the same. Yeah, so there are, there are also um, a lot of sites that you might find basically duplicate templates that maybe are labeled something else. Um, that will make you feel like, oh, you need all five of these to create, you know, or to, to be protected when you just need one client agreement that has all the right things in it. And so a really great example of this is there are times, there are situations where it makes sense to have a standalone model release. Um, and then there are other situations where you can include that in your client contract. Um, and so that can that's just a provision that they're going to agree to within your contract. Um, so a lot of times there are, you know, just duplicate documents that you see around and you might not know which one do I need for sure, which don't I need? Can these all just live together in one place? So you guys can find whatever you need on Contractista and you can be assured that you're not going to be spending hundreds of dollars on essentially the same document just labeled and marketed to you as something separate. Kaylee, thank you so much for being here today and for just giving us so much advice and then also the action steps. So again, for those listening, Contractista and the coupon code is linked in the show note description, as well as that free PDF where it's five things to include in your photography contract. Kaylee, where can everybody find you online? Yeah, so you can um, find me on Instagram at, at Kaylee Giacome. 
What an awesome episode. I always love when Kaylee comes on to the Build and Bloom Facebook group or here on the podcast and shares her time and talent with us. Don't forget that you can grab your free worksheet of five things to include in your photography contract linked in the description of this episode. You can also head to jessicawhitaker.co slash photography contracts for all the contract templates you might need, including portraits, wedding, boudoir, newborn, family, senior, maternity, as well as other legal documents for freelance graphic designers, coaches, even website policies. I believe in you and I believe in your business. Thanks for listening to the Build and Bloom podcast. Thanks for listening to the Build and Bloom podcast. If you love the show, leave us a review on iTunes to keep it running. This also helps other photographers to find this free resource. Looking for more? Join over 60,000 photographers in the Build and Bloom Facebook group. Just search for Build and Bloom in Facebook groups to join in the encouraging and empowering community. You can also find Jessica's tutorials and tools on YouTube and Instagram at Jessica Whitaker and show notes and further resources on her website, jessicawhitaker.co. Thanks for spending time here. Catch you in the next episode.